It's a question about how serious you are about seeing justice done. You'll listen to They Came From the Silver Screen. a podcast where each episode we talk about a film, its social issues, and everything that surrounds it. I'm Josh Tregenza, and with me as always is my host, my fellow host, Damien Danaher. Damien, how are we this blessed day? Well, I was okay when you, you know, seemed to ascribe me as the singular host of the show, but... Yeah, I got really confused. Yeah, you, you wheeled that back. I also liked... Uh, how you've uh, changed the introduction from uh, how uh, it's not uh, each week we discuss a film, it's now just each episode. Man, we gotta we got to cover our bases. <laughs> I, don't want, I don't want to be called out for false advertising. People will rip us to shreds. Exactly. What? All three of them. <laughs> yep. And of course, we like to uh, put a shout out to Scoot McNeary. Yes. One of those three. Exactly. You know he's got a long reach. He does, and though see, he gets that he gets a listening party together. So though it only comes up as three people, it's more like fourteen because he has that little party. You know, they have the hors d'oeuvres, all of the fun stuff. Mm, exactly. So, it's just like how Nielsen, you know, reviews don't take into account that you know families have you know more than uh, two TVs in one house. Come on, Burgundy, you know those you know those, those statistics are rigged. <laughs> That has been this week's Anchorman <laughs> quote. Stay tuned next week for one more. Next episode. No, next week. Really? Oh. I meant what I said in that one. It's not going to be in this. It may not be in the podcast. It may just be out and about. If you want to find out about that, listeners, please uh, follow us on a variety of social media where you could find such a thing. For shit's sake. It's it's been a while, folks. We're getting back into it. Uh, You know, baby steps, um, baby steps. Baby steps. So uh, this week we're we're seeing old friends in in the Tom Ford film uh, Nocturnal Animals. Mm. Um, You know, of course, directed by Tom Ford. But in it, it's got Michael Shannon. It's got Amy Adams. It's even got Jenna Malone, who we just recently saw in uh in the neon demon indeed he bonded and amy adams and uh michael shannon of course in man of steel harking yeah. very very far back to our second episode ever i mean if if we're going to take into account the director's cut of batman versus superman jenna malone stacks up as being in three films that we have we have talked about. Oh, very nicely done. Followed closely by Amy Adams and Michael Shannon, who have been in two. Excellent. No, I, I honestly just uh, hadn't even bothered to acknowledge yeah. that version because, well, it, it sucks. I mean, none of none of that it, it, was it good. Was, it wasn't. It wasn't good. I mean, no, no. We got we got to get a lot of out of a chest. But yeah, so it, yeah, Nocturnal <laughs> Animals not only stars. Those three, but also Jake Gyllenhaal, mm-hmm. uh, Aaron Taylor Johnson, mm-hmm. Isla Fisher, mm-hmm. Armie Hannon, Michael Sheen, Laura Linney. It's a, it's actually a very it's a solid very cast. very very fine cast. 
Apparently it also has Andrea Riseborough in it, and I'm struggling to remember who she played. Because I really liked her in Oblivion. Ooh. And I really oh, like and I really liked her in Birdman as well. Yeah. I'm looking I'm just I'm just looking at the cast list and I just I'm 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 really struggling to remember who she played. Did she play the wife of Michael Sheen? Oh, maybe she did. Because she had the haircut. I was going to say, she had that kind of like crazy, crazy eyes. Yeah. Um, just, just go on ahead. Uh, crazy yeah. eyes is, of course, the medical term. <laughs> All right, hold on. So, she, I'm, I'm doing some detective work here. No, so, she was, she was the daughter. The daughter? She was the, she was the daughter that got the call. Are you sure? Cause, I think so. Cause um, let me just let me just do it. I'm I'm doing a bit of a I'm doing a bit of sleuthing. So she played a character whose last name was Holt. In in Nocturnal Animals. So oh, okay. I'm well. I'm, that's not I'm, Murray, I'm just that's... gonna I'm just gonna go and have a crack and see. Oh <sighs> god, this is you know. But why you? Well, while you do that, yeah, give, I'm give, gonna, us, give us a bit I'm of a talk give with... us a bit of a preface, bro, because uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna guess, I'm gonna go sleuth, but yeah. tell the people what we're talking about. Yeah, so Nocturnal Animals is in fact the second film by director Tom Ford. Tom Ford is most famously uh, a fashion designer uh, who has done many many things. Uh, most, you know, the first film that he did was A Single Man, which starred Colin Firth. Um, now we're doing the. Now he's doing nocturnal animals. Been quite nocturnal a animals. quite a wait between the two though. Certainly is. Mm. Oh, and uh, by the way, yeah, she was uh, Michael Sheen's wife. Ah, well, there we go. There you go. Crazy eyes. Yeah, crazy so eyes always give us away. So two thousand and nine to two thousand and sixteen. Mm-hmm. So that's the time Single Man came out in two thousand and nine. Nocturnal animals. Uh, it's a film about uh, a gallery owner. Amy Adams, who receives a novel, the first transcript of her ex-husband's novel. Uh, a lot of it does consist of her reading said novel and, uh, and what that entails. Meanwhile, uh, you see the, a, a small glimpse into her life and the marriage that she is now having difficulties with. We see it all play out and more importantly, we see Amy Adams reading and dealing with what she is reading, which doesn't sound like much, but I think she does fantastically. In I mean, it's the same kind of, you know, <clears throat> movie that sort of, you you know, you describe it to someone and I mean, I liken it to when uh, Life of Pi, you know, came out and uh, a mate of mine, uh, saw the movie and said it's just a guy in a boat for two hours and i'm like uh, and and, exactly. and so i mean my response to that is like yes technically you are correct just as technically you are you know correct that you know a portion of this movie is amy adams reading a book but you're you're really not getting the nuance so i mean like it, this is a the spellbinding you know sort of uh piece yeah. of work from if Ford. If only we had a place to get into such a such a film mm. that wasn't just cliff notes. Yeah. Mm. yeah. 
We may be able to work this out through the next amount of time that we do speak about this. Hey, hold on a second. That sounds like some kind of a podcast you're talking about there. Talking about and in. Ooh, meta. Mm, very. <laughs> but this is indeed a, a huge leap in terms of quality from, uh, you know, his first effort, which, you know, is nothing to be sniffed at. Colin Firth got a Best Actor nomination, which, to be fair, I think he actually should have won more than he uh, deserved to win for his uh, portrayal as uh, uh, the King in uh, oh, The King's Speech the following, in the following, the following speech. year. Yeah, it was an absolutely masterful performance in subtlety and nuance in... Uh, you know, uh, demonstrating grief behind a mask of uh, civility and everything like that. And all the time... And across the board. You know. Across the board from everyone. Julia Moore is fantastic in it. Nicholas Holt. Matthew Good mm. in the in the flashbacks. <laughs> like, so those are kind of the name people. Exactly. And so this... In so already this seems to be a man after only two films that is really able to coax some pretty excellent performances out of yeah, actors. Yeah, he's jumping up and up. He he understands yeah. well, I want, I, how to let well, he understands, actors he go. understands vulnerability and he understands intimacy. And I can't help but think that that probably has to do with his fashion background, with, you know, the photography and everything like that. About, you know, because, you know, apart, you know instead of a movie where you can, uh, you know, let a scene play out or something like that, you know, in a fashion shoot or something like that, or, you know, a fashion show or whatever, you've got the barest of moments to convey the entire emotional reality of the moment you are ascribing to the outfit. Hmm. You know, so... Yeah. Where, you know, so in a single snapshot, you need to be able to convey everything that you want that product, that, that item, that reality to suggest and then you know you metastasize that and allow that to grow and uh, develop into the the concept of filming a movie and i suppose it comes as no surprise that he's actually able to articulate very clearly at least obviously very clearly what he wants his actors to do yeah he's very much a man who knows uh what he wants on the on the screen and he's endeavoring to put that across to us mm. i think uh, whereas some uh, some filmmakers, they they know what they want, but they don't know how to articulate it to their audience. I think Tom Ford very much knows what he's trying to put across and trying to tell the audience. <clears throat> it is now up to us to kind of get amongst that and and be receptive to what he is putting out. Exactly, and the and the beautiful thing that I've noticed about, uh, across both these two movies is that he doesn't handhold. No, not at all. He, do, he, at all. he does. He doesn't. Um, you know, condescend to the audience. You know, uh, I. You know, in interviews, he's off. He's often said that he makes the well. You know, now it's the two movies. You know, but this was only uh, in regards to Single Man after it had come out. That he made the movie for himself, mm. and he basically assumed that if it was portrayed in the movie such as he could understand it, then he hoped but the audience would understand it as well. And so it's not about uh, overtly 
you know, underestimating the recognizance of an audience member with having like a, a Christ ton of exposition or anything like that. You know, it's it's drip fed to us the way the way exposition is, you know, dripped fed to us in life. You know, mm. you never get the whole story straight away. It's in drips and drabs from a variety of goddamn sources, and some of those sources are, let's say, less than reliable. And that's and that's what Nocturnal Animals is. It's it's a it's a it's a movie with unreliable narrators. And it and yeah, from from the director, you know who you know Tom Ford wrote the screenplay mm-hmm. based on the uh, the Austin Wright uh, novel, and uh, titled uh, what was it Tony and Susan Susan and Tony or something um, yeah 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 and uh, so it's based on that but you're also um, by the nature of this there is that um, she's you know Susan played by Amy Adams gets a uh, gets the transcript of her ex-husband's manuscript played by we assume Jake Gyllenhaal mm. um, Tony and uh, so she's reading it but we're also seeing you know what's implied by the story um, what uh, you know Tony's being told what Susan's reading into it and uh, yeah there's a, there's a lot of yeah unreliability in this exactly um, that yeah it, it is very much like real life in that in the fact of you know this I mean everything's subjective this could be taken yeah various it could be taken various ways we may not get to the same point of what Tom Ford intended it to be about you know to the point of in an, in an interview uh, a recent interview about this film he's talking about the fact that this is a film that you know by the end of it you should be you know you should be feeling about not not losing those that you truly care about and i believe in in some ways that's a you know much like in in a single man it's a it's a love story to his partner yeah um in his own interesting way I mean, if I had to choose a story to adapt as uh, as an ode to some sort of significant other, I don't I don't necessarily know if uh, if Nocturnal Animals would be the heartfelt love letter I had in mind. Purely because I mean, I don't the, think it's the most pure. Yeah, <laughs> no, but just you know, I mean, but I mean, like, what you know, what does they say that you know, love is love is murder. Hmm. That's the fact of yeah, not yeah. Don't don't do things to the ones you love mm. because you may lose them forever. And I believe that's the last moments of the film kind of kind of gives us playing out for us. Yeah, I mean it's funny when yeah, she's it's, she's waiting yeah, and and waiting and waiting and 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 nothing nothing yeah. happens. And but but <laughs> but it's there's but there's no closure. And that funnily there's enough, no and, and that funnily, and that funnily enough nothing. is like what life really is. Because I mean, it's funny. Like, like it's if you really look at the uh, movie on the most basic existential level, basically all that happens is that Amy Adams has marital difficulties with her current husband. Her former husband sends her a book. She reads it, feels a bit of regret, asks to go to dinner and then it stood up mm. the end I mean there's no 
Once again, it's. I it's, mean, there's. Well, I mean, yeah, it like I was going to say, it sounds like nothing. Exactly. There's no payoff when you just list the uh, material facts of of the tale, but the beauty in all of this, and it just show it just shows exactly how far Ford has come as a director when uh, dealing with you know uh, a single man. You look at that film and you you see the the film of a you know a surprisingly promising you know debutante. A man mm. that you know uh, has previously demonstrated no interest in in film whatsoever, and suddenly you know creates this movie, you know with uh, you know some pretty spellbinding uh, cinematography. You know the the whole the, the, the whole notion of you know um, you know George's life being drab and grey. And in moments of uh, emotional passion or arousal, you know, the saturation just, you know, increases the contrast, increases to an almost uh, an absurd level, you know, to kind of, you know, give the audience that kind of, um, it's like uh, that uh, condition that people have where they, you know, see sound and hear colour. What is it? Synesthesia? Uh, Synesthesia. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah where you sort of you know he can't he can't do it for real but he tries on a visual level to uh illustrate the sense of potency that uh Colin Firth's character is feeling in these scenarios where you know for these last few moments he's experiencing something incredible and that was groovy mm. but it was also i guess you could say a kind of it was a novel you know cinematic technique well it's, it was a little bit on the nose it was a little bit on the nose i mean like it was quite obvious i guess as he'd say which isn't to take anything away mm. from you know what he did because you know still effective that that, obvious, that, but that, that that movie was absolutely beautiful it was certainly one of my favorites of that year but to see him uh five or six years later as it may be now juggling you know three separate timelines you know three separate periods three separate you know production designs and locations and things like that you know and and, yeah, and essentially and, and, three and, separate films exactly and genres as well as i was about to say because yeah if you look at the the amy adams and uh Hall flashback scenes where they first meet and their relationship blossoms and then sours that's almost your sort of classic you know, rom, romantic you know, comedy, romantic comedy yeah. or romantic drama, as it may be. Yeah. And then you look at uh, the the modern day aspect of it, and it's very much a sort of uh, domestic crisis film. Yeah, uh, in, all, you in, know, a, in a post-Brent Easton Ellis sort of Exactly, like LA. a very, very sort of, you know, post, post-modern, post-Empire, as Ellis would have, would have uh, coined it, world. Mm. you know and then and then the and last then the, and the, then the story. last one which is very much a genre picture which is very yeah. much a kind of like um uh, how would you describe it sort of like a a straw dogs meets um yeah. a straw dogs it's, meets it's um a... uh what's the one with um burt reynolds in it a deliverance, deliverance yeah it's very yeah. much a kind of straw yeah. dogs yeah, meets but like you know deliverance kind of you know spaghetti sort of you know horror it's a revenge horror tale. The West revenge tale you know 
Hey, we're back in West Texas. Exactly. We didn't. We're, we're, uh, we didn't go very far. We didn't we, since last. Yeah, week. we didn't. We didn't have to go very far at all. All we did was replace uh, Jeff Bridges with uh, Michael Shannon, who, ironically oh. enough, is uh, dying a lot more. But you know, it's it's that kind of you know harness on, and you you see the the disassociation between those three realities. You know, with the uh, cinematographer Bradford Young. You know, a very, very promising uh, cinematographer who, apart from uh, lensing Selma and, uh, you know, A Most Violent Year, which was uh, J.C. Chandler's most recent film, the man who did uh, uh, Margin Call and uh, All Is Lost mm. with uh, Robert Redford, you know, his third film, you know, with a uh you know one of the best actors we have uh currently uh got you know oscar isaac you know sort of the 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 de niro of our era almost you know and after isaac made his uh transition into uh star wars with episode seven bradford young is also making his transition into star wars as the cinematographer for the as yet untitled young han solo movie but I mean, again, you see this uh, beautiful uh, cinematography that just uh, blows your mind. And you know what's awful about this is we can't use any of it because I've just realised that Bradford Young was a cinematographer in a row. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Let's, yeah. Uh... Yeah, because yeah, we, we were talking about him, but uh, oh yeah. god, I got fucking cross. Oh god, who's the cinematographer? It's, it's fucking Seamus. Someone from is the cinematographer in uh, Nocturnal Animals. Why? Why did I? Uh, why did I go Star Wars? Because I'm sure, like, his. Uh, yeah, I think I think, his, I think Seamus has done like a lot of shit as well. Well, he did Avengers. That's it. That's why. That's why. I, that's why I thought. Uh, he did Godzilla. Oh god, that's it's all fucking incestuous, man. That's why I got con- oh. oh man, it's all incestuous. Jesus I mean, four Lord. out of these four out of these actors have been in superhero films. Yeah. That's bullshit. And he did Anna Karenina, you know, which is period. He did Atonement. Yeah. Fucking The Accountant, really? Jesus. Alright. What? Oh, he did some Dark Mirror. Cool. What a guy. He's getting out there. Yeah. Oh, 50, oh shit. He did Fifty Shades. <laughs> oh, shit. He just really did he? Okay, I think... Yeah, I think we got some... I think we got some legs on this one to say. talk about him. <laughs> I'm sorry. Because, like, that's directed by Aaron's fucking, like, reverse... Reverse yeah, cradle-snatching wife. wife. Yeah. Oh. What do you, what do you, what do you, like, is, I mean, I don't know what you call, like, a, um, you know, an, old, an older, older person, like, I mean, like, you know, the, a the, cougar? I mean, the older, the older, I guess, yeah, but, like, he poached her, man. She, uh, she, well, he's I a, mean, he's a grave, he's a grave robber then. Exactly, because he, like, he, she directed him in, uh, Nowhere, Nowhere Boy, the, uh, oh, the yeah, John Lennon right. biopic, the... and he was, like, 19, and he fucking went after her. The guy creeps me out. Uh, We've got to talk about this, but he creeps I me mean, out. And it kind I of mean, like, like comes full circle in this film. Exactly. 
I almost yeah. feel like we should leave that in there. All right. Oh, what in this entire discovery? Just the, like, just like the. I mean, like, it's almost instructive in a way. He goddamn did. He he was the he was the cinematographer for Nowhere Boy. Yeah. Well, there you go. I mean, like, that's it. Oh, it's everywhere. It's done. I mean, it, it it's, it's, it's 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 all it's all fucking incestuous, man. I mean, like, you know. He gets around. We might as we might as well keep it in. He lends high fidelity. That's crazy. It's one of my favorite films. All right, well, oh, all, right, nice. all right, look. So, Bradford Young did not lens this movie. Did lens all the other movies that I said he lensed, including Arrival, which is also Amy Adams, which is why I got confused. Bloody fantastic film. You should absolutely see it. Debut, uh, you know, sci-fi film from uh, Dennis Villeneuve, who is now going to go off and, God help us all, hopefully direct uh, vaguely half-decent Blade Runner sequel. Oh, fingers crossed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But anyway, so we kind of went on a gloriously weird tangent there. But if uh, nothing else, this <laughs> is instructive that uh, the, you know, Hollywood's fucked, yo. Yeah, it's it's a West <laughs> Texas thing. Everyone's incestuous. Everyone, it's all, it's all based cousins. on fucking favors, man. So, I mean, like, yeah, no, I'm actually not, I'm actually not upset that I made that mistake because that just those discoveries just make it all the more worth it because everyone's done everything with everybody yeah but also aaron taylor johnson is a reverse cradle snatching psychopath and i i was glad when he died in all right I, I think, <laughs> yeah so this so let's get let's get into the the novel the novel portion of this podcast yeah. which is the novel of the of the mm. film which to be fair was actually so, probably the meatiest part of the film I think it was the most it was the most enjoyable part I would love to see a full film from Tom Ford and you certainly could you certainly could basically in the same yeah I mean give it 45 more minutes and you've got it Mm. doesn't need to be long they got the meat of it already there that is true that is true so yeah it is it is Jake Gyllenhaal uh, basically writing about himself um, and then Isla Fisher playing his wife, which is meant to be Susan. Indeed, and I mean, play, and so, plays in that kind of joke that, you know, no one can tell Amy Adams and Isla Fisher apart. Mm. I mean, there was that story that went, there then, was that story that went around about how uh, Amy Adams uh, put Ela, a picture of Isla Fisher, or Isla Fisher, I think, uh, put a, <laughs> a photo of Amy Adams on her Christmas card and no one no one actually noticed that certainly sounds like something other fisher would would do because she does have that uh, comedic streak in her indeed she does yeah and I, I just don't know if amy adams has that uh, aside from the you know enchant enchanted she was in enchanted oh god she was too yeah i just yeah yeah i guess she's she's, she's really having a she's having so, these two films she's doing she's doing god's work in like kind of distancing herself from some of the things that were not very good. Not because of her. Not at all. I think, you know, in Men of Steel and uh, Batman vs. Superman, she did the best of what she could. Yeah, but she's scripts. never been given... She was never given any opportunity in any of those films to really never. sort of actually 
you know Whereas... make, make some work but i mean like you know i think i think like the the beauty of films like that you know those those superhero films and genre films is that it is still kind of that like you know unofficial no man's land where you can roll in you can do a performance and or be in in a movie like that and it can be shit and it actually has no abject influence on your other work because i mean yeah because i mean like it you know did, i mean like yeah, she, sta she started it. out you know quite you know quite a long time ago you know, yeah, far longer than I would remember her to have I mean, the, I mean, the, fir the first movie I remember her in was Catch Me If You Can. See, I... See, where she played... Enchanted is the first thing I know her yeah. in. Yeah. So, I mean, like, uh, Catch Me If You Can was 2002. And mm. uh, Enchanted was 2007. And in between then, she did so Talladega Nights and the Tenacious D movie. Oh Christ! Among she she has had a streak um, of, um, among um, of yeah among six or seven other films. I mean, she was in Charlie Wilson's War immediately after Enchanted. That's a fantastic film. Too. And I mean, like yeah, oh. perfect. Like just like really beautifully written comedic Aaron Sorkin dialogue and everything like that. I mean, and then you know she did the uh, the drama stuff with Doubt. She did the sort of you know hokey crowd-pleasing drama slash comedy with you know julie and julia meryl streep and everything like that she did her sort of uh borderline necessitated shitty 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 uh romantic you know comedy movie leap year which again we're going to have some crossover her paramour in that movie with matthew good oh Everyone doing it with everyone, and then you know yep. she was the girlfriend in the fighter. She was in the Muppets movie again. We got some more comedy mm -hmm. there. She was in on. She was very good. You know, she was in Muppets on the movie, road. Yeah. You know, the Jack Kerouac. She was in the Master with, uh, you know, Paul Thomas Anderson, his new film. Yeah. You know, and in between, you know, those horrifying, you know, I just super, never see yeah, her. Exactly. As... I mean, like, but in between those horrifying Superman films, she did her. And she did American Hustle. Oh, yes. And she did. And yes. she did Big Eyes. You know. So I mean, like. The... I didn't quite like her in American Hustle, but I didn't quite like American Hustle as a whole. No, American Hustle was a fucking so... appalling movie, but she was very, very yeah. good in it. You know, and yeah. so I mean, like this, 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 this is a woman that she was probably the better of them. Yeah, yeah. and I mean, like this, this is so this, this is an actor that you know has been building a pedigree of roles for you know the last fifteen years. And you know what? I think I think now's the time for her to get some recognition. You know, if you if you if you've seen Arrival and this film, you basically kind of have to accept that it's not whether or not she'll win at a you know an award or an Oscar. It's just which movie she's going to win it for. Because so let's so let which one do you think? Okay, which one would you like her to? Because you have seen her in both. Mm. Which one would you like her to win for? I'd like her to win for Arrival, personally, purely because mm -hmm. that movie allowed her uh, to demonstrate a greater scope of emotion. The, the, the character that she plays in Nocturnal Animals is, just by its nature, a more limited role, purely mm -hmm. because uh, what she's going through is a kind of... Uh, 
you know, existential drought of love and, and all the reactions she has, you know, uh, you know, to her husband, you know, to the revelation that her husband is cheating on her, to the, uh, you know, existential ennui that she feels towards her own art. She doesn't like it. She doesn't feel anything towards it. So again, that's a, that's a barren moment of emotion you know and the only the only moments of real emotional trauma that she gets to experience in this movie are the reactions we have after we immediately cut back to her after reaching a point of crisis in the representation of the novel which just by its very nature is never going to be as um you know potent as actually just witnessing what we just witnessed yeah she is she is meant to be the uh you know she's meant to be one with the audience and we're we're all experiencing this together Mm. she of course has a little more knowledge i mean she yeah she has her own state she has she has her own context for what she's reading but i mean but i mean even so but it's all even so she's she's reading she's seeing this story like us for the first time hmm so I think you know. I mean, I mean, I guess that kind of takes away from the time. But I mean, even so, she's that good. I mean, like it's it's not like saying there's a good performance and a bad performance. It's like you know, between Arrival and this, they're both amazing. Arrival is just more amazing. So do you feel that that Arrival is more of the Hollywood? Because of course it, it it's so uh, you know the awards season is so very political um amy adams getting getting an award do you feel like this would be the uh, so arrival would be the film that she would get it for because it's more palatable for uh for everyone i mean as opposed to if i if if, if i if i had to put on my cynic the devout yeah, yeah i mean if i had to put on my cynic hat for a second i'd say that you know if if she if she was going to win she would win for Arrival purely because there are scenes in that movie where she gets to act in, I mean, I hate to say this, but I have to frame it in in a way that like, you know, Academy voters are going to view it as the acting is more obvious. Yeah. She gets to have, you know, moments of traumatic breakdown and, you know, traumatic revelation and then traumatic exhaustion she gets to she gets to hit a lot of really really potent notes in that movie and let let me just say she hits them fantastically but it's a more obvious uh, it's obvious it's not it's it's a more obvious film uh to be nominated for than nocturnal animals which is amazing in its own right but just not in a way that i think you know a majority of people would appreciate purely because yeah. uh, you have to view the film within the framework of what her character is this utterly detached you know this former debutante de- de- from West, you know from texas de- depressed insomniac you know woman that can barely muster the energy to even pretend to be excited about her own art exhibits, let alone feign interest in a marriage that she has no stake in, let alone feign interest in an affair that she knows is going on far before the revelation of the film dishes out for us. So, yeah, 
it's it's but you but you but like and it's a credit to the way Tom Ford, you know, directs the film and you know Yeah, those the, the those way parts... the way that the way that God helped me Seamus McGarvey lensed the film <laughs> got it right for once is that you know uh the things i like about it is that uh ford has the eye of that voyeuristic fashion photographer so he knows exactly where to look for emotion yeah and you see and you see that he does linger on things exactly. he does take the time for it he likes to make uh, a tableau of a person's uh, a person's face not just you know though that though he does make gorgeous tableaus mm. uh, between the novel and the the fi- and the uh, and the reality of the film exactly um, I think he like... also does that with people's faces mm. i mean like this is this is a man who sort of like understands i mean i mean like i i have a massive fascination with uh, the fashion industry fashion photography and videography because basically what you are doing is you are you are stripping these humans down to the most fundamental levels of the humanity because instead of allowing you know the movie to you know express the the humanity over the course of multiple scenes you've got exactly one shot one photo or a five-second yeah. video to you have to, 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 to you have to, to pull it exactly down all the way to it's like component I, I think... primal you know form and so i think i think he knows what to look for but in those scenarios you're not you're not always going to get beauty you're going you're, go, you're, you're think... going to get the vulgarity yeah. you're going to get the vulgarity in between the shots you know the shots that you don't see in the magazines or anything like that the outtakes of the perfection of life, which, you know, is kind of like, you know, what I feel it's like a statement that he seemed to be making, you know, with the, with the opening of this film. Yes. So the, yes, yes. Okay. So yes, the opening of this is you could just as easily start this film with, you know, showcasing the, you know, the, the pretty vulgarity of the people within the art gallery. You know how they're you know setting up this you know you know the destruction of the you know post empire Brad Easton Ellis world of everyone you know very much less than zero sort of sort of thing. Yeah, or well, you know um, you could very, do it yeah, that way, very sort of like glamorama meets imperial bedroom. Yes, you know sort of uh, disdain for the very thing that they 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 love to be involved with. Yes, you could have that, but instead Tom Ford he he. Like, so he has, it's, you know, you start off with, um, you know, undeniably large women, large, but very proud women mm. dancing and just really enjoying themselves fully naked. Yeah, there's a, there's a, br- there's, naked yeah. in nothing but, uh, you know, marching band sort of, uh, you know, accoutrement. No, I mean, we might as well call them like the, the, the you know, the, the cornerstone accoutrements of your, your, your you know your classic stripper culture mm. and it's it's but it, but it, there's an undeniable again as you say there's pride and sensuality but it's yeah. but, but it's funny the way like the voyeuristic like the i would, I would say a, the brutally voyeuristic way in which it's shot it's almost a dare 
It's mm. almost it's 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 it's, it's, a, it's, it's a dare it's, for it's you a, to enjoy it's a, it's it as well. It's a dare for the audience because I dare say that because it doesn't it doesn't you know come and go quickly. No, he let, he, it, he, once he, again he, lingers. He lets it linger again until you're kind of you you know as as an audience member you would move past the moment of you know having a chuckle. Or whatever. Yeah, at, having at a the, chuckle, at seeing this, them, at this seeing alter- these women this, as a laugh. Yeah, exactly, as this alternate, you know, version of reality. And then, you know, because it's not the idealized version of female beauty that's portrayed. But then he lingers, and then he keeps showing you, and he shows you again and again and again, and more women and more women and more, and they're all happy, and they are all utterly comfortable in their bodies, and sensual and erotic. And you kind of are actually forced to acknowledge this extra facet of reality that uh, you just, you know, that like, oh my god, well, well, people like that shouldn't dance. Well, why not? You know, and it kind of, it's it's almost like a mini kind of meta commentary on the film itself, because it basically, mm-hmm. because the ba- opening basically suggests that everything you think you understand about reality we are going to challenge for you the way what you think is rational and normal you're not going to see here i yeah it this is because by the start of it i was like oh okay they're starting off um they're starting off like this this is okay this is interesting there's a there's a, a rather large scar on this woman um am i supposed to be under like okay what am i seeing here this is not what i anticipated from this film you know, thing where he doesn't he does again like i like we said at the start he doesn't hold your hand he doesn't tell yeah you i feel uncomfortable he doesn't tell you whether you should be disgusted or aroused he just present he just presents it as a fact he, he presents it and then he so this, this so exists by the start of it by the start of it you're 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 kind of oh, I don't like. I feel I feel uncomfortable by this, but as it continues, you, you start like you no, know, they're you, you understand that they're in you know these women they're enjoying yeah, there's, this there's, as well. There's a beauty to and it. you yeah, start exactly, because then you feel you don't you, laugh you feel, at you them, you laugh with them. Yeah, and then you laugh at yourself because they're enjoying it. We're all enjoying yeah. this together, yeah. and that is. That could have been a film, a short film in and of itself, exactly. and it would have been fantastic. And the, and and the I, interesting thing about that is, it could have gone so very wrong. Yeah, but the but just the way it went about it, the way like he presents this reality as being contrary to our expected norm, and then basically dares us to laugh at it, and then presents us to it in such a way and for such a length of time that we actually chastise ourselves independent of the film. The film doesn't, mm. like, put judgment upon us. We actually are compelled to judge ourselves. Like, why Why did I ever find this anything less than perfectly okay? And it's it's just, you know, the, the composition of the shots, the framing on the faces. Yes, you have the framing on the bodies and everything like that, and it's completely un- it's, it's so completely un- unadulterated in its voyeurism. But you have these absurd close-ups of these women's faces with, and I, we haven't spoken about it yet, but the most uh, beautiful music 
by returning composer Abel Kozanyaski. Hmm. Oh, it's who was his uh, composer on uh, Single Man as well. Single Man, yeah. And also Penny Dreadful. And God help all of you if you haven't seen that show. Because... God help me then, I'm yet to see it. Oh, mate, but... it's got Ava Grain in it. I I know. Oh, it's, it's just it's the Josh Hartnett thing that get the oh, kind of but give him a chance, bro. Keeps me hanging give back. Give him a chance. Uh, but I think what you know this so this the opening it not only could uh, stand on its own two feet, but it also allows us to pity the sadness of Amy Adams mm. because she does have riches and wealth, and she has you know she has uh, you know aides and servants um that that help her in in setting up a new house or at least just changing the art in said house mm. uh, that she comes back to so it allows us to you know because if we just saw her uh, feeling pain or feeling uh, uh sadness we would uh, we would disregard that but because she is is sad uh, juxtaposed against these women who are who are expressing themselves fully, and you're really enjoying it. It does give us that opportunity to pity Amy Amy, Adi, Amy Adams' character. You, use your Sorry words, Josh. That, uh, <laughs> I sh- I'll try and use my words. It's getting a little hard. You've been, you've been, eh, you've been doing okay so far. Um, mate. It makes us pity her, and but in a way that we we can follow follow her along this along this story that she's going to be taking us mm. along with, which is, yeah, the, the multiple layers of it, it does show how much, though this is the second film from Tom Ford, how much he understands about film and his audience. Mm, exactly. Yeah. But we did say that we would get into the novel and we, we, we kind of took a few steps back by trying to do that. So the novel is basic. Yeah, it's it's back in West Texas, uh, like we said in uh, in Hell or High Water, and it's kind of a revenge western uh, that's going on with uh, with Jake Gyllenhaal's character uh, and his and his wife and his daughter. Uh, they're they're driving to their new home, and they get uh, they start to get harassed by uh, by uh, by a car full of good old boys to. Thank you, thank you, Basically thank you for using the phrase that I was going to use. <laughs> yeah, that I, it's very hard to say anything but um, they're, they're they're the good old boys. Mm. They're they're the ugly side of of the Rust Belt. Exactly. And then from there, we we it doesn't it doesn't go well. No, it doesn't go well. So you know, um, yeah, Aaron Tyler Johnson is the ringleader of of these of the good old boys and you you know he's got the big mutton chops and the he's looking he kind of looks like he just came off the set of like days of confused mm, exactly well i mean he's well, um, i mean he's got the good mutton chops he's got like you know the the 70s you know uh hair and do but then he's also got the ring on the finger he's got the long fingernails he's got that sort of like almost high-pitched whine of an accent that you know he's not he's not your average you know sort of villain and it's like i mean 
the the fact but he's, the, it makes you uneasy exactly so he and is the, the villain exactly. for just the make the way he makes you feel exactly and i mean like in a, in a lesser movie they would have shown the rape they would have shown the murders they would have shown everything you don't see a damn thing until no. you know tom ford in this like glorious moment of like sort of fashion photography sort of painterly beauty basically you know as uh john hall returns after his escape to the scene of the crime and uh yeah sees, so let's let's just yeah, yeah so sees the tableau of of his of his dead wife and daughter but so take a step back so of course there it's a fair amount of time it's not it's not uh it's not quick we see a you know a, a husband uh trying to uh, take care of his family um you know when they are kind of rudely pushed off the side of the road by the good old boys uh then they you know they they start to harass but then they 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 try and fix the car uh that jake gyllenhaal's car is uh, he's got a flat tire and it's just it's such it's it's like a, a psychological thir- thriller in this point because you you know what's going to happen um but tom ford doesn't give you that payoff as graphic and as as terrible as it is mm. um he doesn't he does not allow you to just have that that band-aid quickly ripped off i was gonna say that you stay yeah. with this scene yeah you you get the full impact of 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 just brutal rape he doesn't allow that he he you have to watch well, it's just that yeah a, it's that opening it's that, man, it's that scene that like in any sort of other contemporary film would probably at least have been cut in half in terms of the you know acts of intimidation the mind games the back and forth the play you know that uh taylor johnson's character initiates and it's it's almost worse than the violation because we know because, because, we know because, and uh, you it's know, again and again it's that beautiful moment which again i kind of i have to tie back to um ford's fashion roots where it's basically uh, fashion is about tantalization because you know uh, you understand instinctively that the you know consumer's imagination is always going to trump whatever you can consider and it's and it's, it's, and, it's and, and, so... and it speaks exactly oh. to that in that movie but they never show it he never shows it because he knows that based on all of the build-up and everything that's happened and who these characters are your imagination your visualization of how that scene would have played out behind closed doors trumps every single possible vulgar representation that we could possibly put to screen and it is it is morbid that we that we go there Mm. very quickly when watching this film it's like yep okay good old boys and they they overpower you know they're going to overpower the women and they may kill or at least harm the man. Um, yep. All right. Cool. I know this is going to happen. Oh God, this is still like we we're never going to see this. We we have to watch the the oh I 
<laughs> the foreplay to it. We only see the foreplay to yeah. it. Yeah. And that's so much like, you know, I've kind of got myself into this analogy, but it's the foreplay that kind of helps with the helps, you know, lead up to the sex. Well, I mean, like, and foreplay is about, like, I mean, when like, it's, I mean it, is, it is in a way, it is, it is almost meta or reverse cinematic foreplay. Because I mean, like, I mean, like, mm. I, I don't, I don't know if I have any bones about saying this. I mean, like, we're we're in the we're in the north now, you know. Implication is a sort of uh, an endangered species in film. You know, people like to be shown things. They like demonstration. It you know it it, it bears well to actually just be, you know, put in front of us. And I I wouldn't be surprised that a sizable portion of people and at least a fragment of myself actually just wanted to see the result to to yeah, to, you, to, you to, want to, it because that's what you're expecting exactly to see the assault on screen i mean like we are treated to so much sexual violence in our in our anything in our cinema in our te- in our television sexual violence is one of the most you know prevalent forms of violence and also it must be said one of the most prevalent forms of plot advancement because it, it's so easy it's such an easy emotional hook for us yeah so that it, and it is just the the aftermath of it you know the you know we get to see we we see it we see the aftermath and then all right we don't have to have any more explanation and you know which is what like you and know, it, it's, it's disgusting it's, well, I mean, that yeah, it's the and it's, case. it's what game of, it's, it's what game, of, it's so what game much. of thrones has been criticized for a lot recently that you know you know sansa as a character is basically just used you know her her rape was used as a tool for theon to you know uh, develop as a character back into a heroic sort of form you know she's getting raped but the camera lingers upon him you know mm. as as, it as, becomes, as, yeah. as, though, as though his experience is somehow worse than hers because we can't experience, because we don't, we, people believe, you know, the, I mean, the it's people like, who make our medium don't think that we can have an understanding of these tragic acts yeah. without some sort of like masculine, mm. uh, you know, counterpoint of like, well, this has hurt the man in this situation. So, of course, we understand you know, it go, it go, uh, it the impact of it. Old school sort of, you know, honor killing type stuff i mean like you know look at look at um well, but, well uh, let's, why not yeah rob roy with uh liam neeson you mm. know classic sort of it came out came out uh same year or the year after braveheart you know scottish you know tale of you know classic highlander hygiene and revenge but basically the story was some british fop you know raped his wife and so he as the wronged party went on a revenge spree you know fuck the wife mm. and her feelings you know she was like don't worry about it i'd rather you just be alive and work through this together he's like no i must avenge you and also by proxy i guess myself and well it's it's avenging himself exactly and in doing so he avenges his yeah. wife i mean like it, but this is not a new thing 
Law and Order, no, Law, and, Law not... and Order SVU. Every fucking like episode. It's normalized. The, the, it's normalized. The, 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 and Tom every, Ford every, is able every, to every, subvert every that. single episode. Yeah, is there was a rape done? Let's go find who what done the rape. It's 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 yeah. like you know, as a culture, we have been desensitized to the the brutality and the trauma of yeah of, in the of that in act. the in the wrong way. Like we're we're normalized to it in that it happens as opposed to we need to act so it doesn't happen. Exactly. And 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 it's, this and this film does not does not do that. It subverts our understanding of uh, of rape and sexual assault being normal in these instances, and it it toys with us for it. Uh, master masterfully. It it is once again it is a, is a credit to to Tom Ford in knowing that this is this is how it should be shown to us to make the most impact. Um, you know, the, he, he is a man who lingers. He's a man who takes his time. He takes his time for a reason, though, not just to see pretty things. Um, though the uh, the vistas of of West Texas are gorgeous. Um, yeah, when he takes the time on to to spend time on the people, we understand the gravity of it he reminds me in that way of steve mcqueen yes who again is another you know extraordinary filmmaker who again comes from uh sort of an artistic background not quite the same as tom ford in terms of fashion but i mean uh Steve McQueen was very much a, a man of, you know, the, the graphic design, of visual art, of still photography. And so he take he, or he took those uh, mantras, those artistic mores into his films. And if you look at Hunger and you look at Shame and you look at 12 Years a Slave, you see incredibly long, you know, shots that are held for a single moment you know, or, you know, scenes, you know, that yeah, are they're, shot they're in a both single men take. who understand. You know, again, you know, like the flagellation scene in 12 Years a Slave is, was so powerful because it was shot in a single take. And, and every, at every moment where you wanted to look away, you wanted to disassociate yourself from the reality of the moment, he said, sucks to be you then i'm not letting you do it you are implicated in the action of this film you are no longer just an innocent bystander you are actually an accessory to the crime that we are witnessing and he so he does it in the in the he does he uses the same sort of technique but he does it in a different way because because of the uh the oppression of of african-americans in america in particular uh, as 12 Years a Slave establishes, uh, because that has been swept under the rug, he is showing that, and he is showing that so that you cannot look at it. Mm. Whereas with sexual assault at, in, uh, in Nocturnal Animals, we've seen it that many times that we don't need to see it. But the foreplay of it, the stuff leading up to it, that's the stuff that we 
that we don't get to see too often because it toys with us. So they're both doing this. They're both spending the time on the parts that 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 affect us the best. Exactly. The, the, he's almost actually he's almost actually asking of us to draw upon our pop culture knowledge of rape mm. and construct our own scenario because he knows it's going to be horrifying. Yeah. It, yeah, it stops. Yeah. It, oh. It's just so, you you know, we, we've spoke, you know, speaking about the, the, you know, the first scene, it's, you know, it's us understanding, you know, us feeling uncomfortable, but then us going along for the ride. And it's the same way. It's us being uncomfortable. And it's like, oh, we know exactly where this is going. And now we can visualize where it's going so that, you know, as we proceed through the film, Amy Adams is starting to have the novel sort of bleed into her world where she looks at the baby monitor and, uh, and Aaron Johnson Carter, Alan Taylor Johnson's character does a jump scare through that baby monitor uh, camera mm. that, that we're feeling that as well, because we, we are so we're almost traumatized by the actions that we have not seen yet. Exactly. Well, we're, on we're, the, on we're film. allowing the reality of the various stories to bleed into each other because, because we know, yeah. because we know, that he's writing about her. And so then we feel the same trepidation that she feels. Yeah, not only that, but now we're we're starting to understand what she's reading into this. Mm. Uh, You know, Jake Gyllenhaal, uh, you know, Tony is writing about the fact that he, he feels weak and because of his weakness, because of his inability to do action, uh, his, do- his, his daughter, wife died. And daughter have died, yeah. and his wife. Yeah, and but that and that bleeds into the fact of you know uh, because he was a weak man because and everyone told Amy Adams that he was a weak man. That's why she, um, you know, she cheated on him with Army Hammer's character. Mm. Uh, that's why you know the the great you know the the worst thing she could have done to to Jake Gyllenhaal was uh, abort their child that they had together and then leave him um you know it's it's this is him this is jake gyllenhaal's character working through that um of you know because he couldn't it's not blaming amy adams it's not blaming susan it's blaming himself for it if he was just strong enough if he wasn't so weak he could have done something about it if he was more like michael sharon's character bobby you know, the lawman who was willing to take the law into his own hands. Yeah. He was just like these people. Um, you know, if he, if he was like, you know, well, Aaron he, Taylor if he, Johnson, if he was if like, he was the, like if them, he, was like he could every, have done something. Yeah, if he was like every single other guy where they came from. Yeah. Because, I mean, they make, they make, no, that, they make no bones about the fact that, like, you know, you know, he, you know, was uh, taken in by you know, Susan's family when they were young and they were hardcore, you know, wealthy as fuck, you know, Texan debutantes and, you know, that old school, you know, Confederate money. Hmm. And you he know, was a child if, of a dead man. Exactly. You know, and he sees, you know, strength through wealth, strength through social standing, strength just through sheer levels of 
you know, personal determinism, I guess, is the phrase I'd use, you know, just just general success, just self-belief. And then, you know, writes his tale as an antithesis to that. Yeah, because he does. And it it is like him working through it because in a previous scene, uh, in a flashback, you know, he, he wasn't able to do the best writing he could. Like he, he was, he was blaming Amy Adams because he wasn't able to do the best writing because she wasn't believing in him. Mm. But um, you know, this is a character. This is a this is a character that we do not see. Uh, we see him in flashbacks, not, not and in, we see yeah, him not in real time. No, we never see him. Yeah, we never see him in real time. But he does through that through the through the flashbacks and then through the novel. We do see him working through things that he's no longer blaming. Amy Adams for not believing in him because everything helped him get to this point. Um, it was actually his fault that these happened. If he was better, you know, if he could do more, he may have just been able to get away with it. Yeah. But even then, in his writing, in in the novel, it is, you know, he he has the you know so. He is doing a revenge tale. He he gets abandoned in the middle of nowhere, um, and he he gets back to civilization where he teams up with Michael Shannon, and they basically track down the good old boys um, in trying to get uh, justice. Um, and that ends up uh, in order to get justice, he needs to uh, go outside of the law, and uh, you know it's you know found out that Michael Shannon in a very, you know, it is very tropey and like, of course, um, in a novel that the lawman would want to go outside of the law because he's got nothing to lose. He's got, uh, you know, he's got family, but they don't care about him anymore. And he's got, you know, he's got cancer. So he's going to die anyway. So he can do whatever the hell he wants yeah. to get the, to, to, to solve this last case in the same way that we saw in like hell or high water of kind of just like, this is my last case. I've got to do what I got to do. Um, so, you know, Michael Shannon, Jake Gyllenhaal, you know, they, they go on to get this revenge and it leads, you know, it culminates in a standoff between, uh, Aaron Taylor Johnson and Jake Gyllenhaal. Um, and it still doesn't work out in a, in a classic revenge of, you know, one man, one man shoots the other, and he ends up walking away. No, no, he gets a, he gets a, uh, like a tire iron to his like a his like eye, a fire, basically. fire pike, whatever the fuck you want to call them. Yeah, yeah, he gets that. Um, you know, then he wakes up. And he's blind, um, he walks, and he walks out, and he trips, and then he shoots himself. And he shoots himself. Yeah, because it, yeah, it's just the moral to the story of you know the weak man being weak still. Yeah. You know. Yeah, yeah, of course the way he dies is because it's by his own hand. Exactly. And it's just that kind of like, you know, beautiful moment where, you know, in some sort of like standard uh, story, you think that like, you know, Amy Adams would read, you know, this novel, see the, the horror, you know, by proxy that she put him through and then, you know, would want to reconcile, which I guess, you know, technically the movie suggests that he she at least moderately does but you know and would is, have that would, and is would, that because would have that moment of uh, reconciliation 
but the movie deprives us of that. Hmm. Yeah, and is it even... It also, like, it could be the fact of, oh, this novel is like, oh, she now understands his pain. Um, and, and she did him wrong by that, by, you know, of course, now that the man is able to communicate these things that the woman understands. Well, it could have been that sort of tale. Um, it could have also been the fact of, you know, her marriage is falling apart and she wants to rekindle uh, a time gone by. Exactly. Um, you know, the last the time that she felt happiness. There. Yeah, the nostalgia of it all. You know, it could have been it could have been either of them. It could be a it could be a mixture of both. Exactly. Um, there's nothing set in stone. It's left up to us as audience members uh, to sort of decide that. Um, you know, Tom Ford has his uh, view of of it. You know, don't let those that you truly love uh, slip through your hands mm. uh, because you may never get them back. Um, you know, it's because she tries to, um, you know, through email, she tries to organize something with uh, with Tony, her ex-husband. And uh, and yeah, it's it. she's left wanting at... Uh, at a, a fancy restaurant, she's stood up, and she's there for many hours. She's gone through many drinks. Well, it is that is um, it is that beautiful moment of sort of the the film asking of us exactly what part of the film wasn't fiction. Mm. Because we because we because, yeah. because we have you know uh, Adam's you know current existences in the art uh, you know gallery. Uh, owner, yeah, she, owner, yeah, owner, owner, owner or whatever yeah. and she considers her life to be fiction the work that she puts on to be a farce to be junk to be garbage as she calls it to michael sheen we have the novel itself which is you know fictitious by its very nature we have her marriage to mm -hmm. army hammer which is you know fiction in basically every facet you would declare a marriage to be we have you know her uh, origin story i guess if we if you want to use a uh, a superman trope for a second of you know the meet cute with jake gyllenhaal and you know their their love but even that is in and of itself a fiction purely because as her mother so adroitly puts it the things that she loves about him now are not going to be the things that she loves about him in two years time and it turns out they're not and then by the the very last the reconciliation that she hopes to achieve with tony is a fiction as well it's it, none, none, yeah, it's... none of it's real yeah it's because this is we are we are going along with her this is she is our main narrator for this all. And what she believes does not happen to, may not be the truth in any regards. Mm. Um, and I, I, you know, where we expect for him to come and then for them to reconcile. But once again, Tom Ford lingers. And we get to see that nothing happens and nothing happens for a long time. Mm. And we get to feel that with the character that we, un and we start to understand that nothing's going to happen. 
This is like everything that we may have anticipated or thought to happen. We should have learned by now. Yeah, I mean, this entire movie we should have has learned. been taking the tropes of the various genres that he's been operating within and then turning them sideways to suggest so that we should what, have like, learned, oh, exactly, like, but we yeah, didn't. Exactly. I've tried to teach you the last, you know, almost, you know, 120 minutes I've tried to teach you, but you just won't listen. So allow me to rip the carpet out from underneath you exactly one more time. And it's, it's absolutely incredible. That final close, just yeah. on her eyeball, you can see the torment, you can see the the horrified resignation just we see the reality brutality. that's and we you, see you it see the one real moment in the movie yeah is her final acquiescence to the reality of her circumstances and then immediately the film ends before you have a chance to have a payoff but that is and that is the payoff and that is, that is the payoff that is, that is wanted and and you've got to deal with that. It's beautiful. And I love it. I fucking it's love fucking it. It's fantastic. It is it is easily one of the best films that has come out this year. Amy Adams mm. is highly up there, as is Michael Shannon, as is Jake Gyllenhaal, like you know, even Aaron Taylor Johnson. So terrifyingly sinister and detestable, and, 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 and wrong, and different. It's it's a it's, yeah, a, it's a movie full of just stellar performances from start to finish, and frankly, I hope to Christ that it's not another five or six years until Tom Ford makes his next movie, because this is a guy who has demonstrated, you know, twice now, that he is fully capable of making incredible cinematic art. He's a solid understanding of the art form. And to a point that he's able to subvert it, um, you know, a lot of those, you know, a lot of films that do do satire, um, they only have a passing knowledge of it, and it falls flat. This is a man who knows the form, who knows what, how the audience is going to read things, and then turns it on his head, like a master. This is a man who's only done two goddamn films. Mm. Can you like? You know, can you think of others that could do this? You know, the masters do this sort of thing. Yeah, I think, the, and even I mean, then, yeah. they do it sparingly. Exactly. The only ones I can think of is, you know, the pe- people who demonstrate just like, uh, you know, the, those those directors that demonstrate like just an occult, instinctive, you know, appreciation and understanding of the craft, like just from the goddamn get go. You know, mm. people people like Terence Malick. Yeah. You know, who debuted with Badlands, which is oh. one of the best movies ever, you know, one of the best movies ever made. You know, and, 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 again, and again, that's and a man again, who takes and again, time. And again, this, and again, in the style of this film, a sort of like, you know, old school crime drama, a Bonnie and Clyde clone that's just taken and turned on its head. Mm. You know, it's. You know that you know this is this is a man that we need to take notice of because I think he's if he keeps going the way he's going he's going to be blessing us with some very very interesting and very good movies for a long time. Yeah, and I for one am excited. Yeah, oh, 
this this oh, it is such a good film, and it is such a breath of fresh air. Like we've, you know, we've actually been seeing some pretty good films. Mm. You know, you know, we started off looking some absolute junk, but we we've we have taken the time to see some absolute great films. And I don't know whether this will this will last in my mind as being a great film, but it truly is. On a on a truly like sort of like a singular experiential sense, I think I think you know, I think it's worth it because I I, I don't know maybe maybe I view it in the same. I'm trying to think of a an, of an equivalent film, and the one that's coming to my mind is Black Swan. It's a movie that I watched mm-hmm. exactly once, but had a profoundly you know potent emotional reaction to i know this because i actually yeah. recall that we saw it together we sat we, is, we yes. sat there we sat there and let the entire credits roll before we actually moved or spoke didn't say or, a word or said anything to each other because so i mean like mm. yeah you know if if there is that suggestion that you know this movie doesn't have maybe the longevity of certain other movies of that ilk i don't know i mean i kind of feel that's okay because i don't know at the moment i i I know i saw it um you know yesterday or almost two days ago now and it's still lingering hmm i mean i've seen it you know i i saw it uh, more a few more days than that and it does still stay with me so though i do say that you know whether it's going to stay with me i think it subconsciously will mm. because it has left those marks of of subversion i think it's i think it's important to have movies that just you know even on a a surface level kind of just remind you that good films are actually still being made hmm and you know what? Maybe, maybe maybe this is just one of those, which I, which is which not which, only which, still I being made, say, which is, but they are exactly, being made which is, which is, again yeah, and again. Which isn't to take anything away from this film. It's not to say like you know, this this film's only purpose is to remind us of the value of other films. No, this is a supreme work of art by uh, an artiste that is in full command of his faculties yeah, and, 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 and of his a, talents. A visual. Yeah, you know, I think, but, you know, you know, uh, if, you know, maybe, maybe it'll take me a while before I see this film again, but you know what, I, but, yeah, but I, you know what, I, I could watch this film again. And I don't mm. say that about many films. I could easily watch this again. I've watched a single man more times than I can count and I can utterly uh, foresee myself returning to this one again and again. This is, this is, this yeah, is a deep uh, and rich well of artistic talent. And it deserves multiple viewings. Yeah, this is a film. And I think, you know, I'll take this back to Wyndham Refn. You know, we said that he was an artist. But he was an artist. He was purely a visual artist. Tom Ford, however, is is a cinematic artist. That he just, he understands all facets of it. Not just the visual. He understands how to utilize the visuals to tell to inform everything else and for everything else to inform the visual Mm. it's it's this mastery is is phenomenal to see and to not see just once 
but to see twice now. Mm. So I'm, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm well with you. I, I can't wait. Uh, and I do hope we don't have to wait uh, another five, six years for something else from him because it is just fantastic. Indeed, indeed it is. And, and you know, funnily enough, mm. I mean, like to, to speak of another man that um, we're looking forward to seeing great things from, starting from humble beginnings and then moving towards making, you know, you know, incredible works of art on a different scale, let's say. We can uh, now uh, reveal what our film for next episode is going to be. Yeah, and we're going to... Or rather, well, fact, what should we say, films? We're going to do... It's kind of a film thing. So we're, in fact, you know, next time around, we're going to be looking at the the trilogy now of Gareth Edwards. He started off from, you know, an eight-person crew and crew and cast of Monsters. Mm, this beautiful, um, you know, the he, little indie film that could back in, uh, oh gosh, I think it was 2008 testing my knowledge now mm. but i think it was it was that long ago and then moving and that was the first time that we uh that we were introduced to scoop mcnary indeed and longtime listener of the podcast and lord knows it won't and be then, the last exactly and then uh then gareth edwards was uh taken to do uh, tap to do godzilla with actually you know aaron <sighs> oh, taylor johnson there we go yeah and i mean scoop mcnary he was in Dark Knight. He was in uh, Batman v Superman. It's mm-hmm. all incestuous. I mean, and then Godzilla had uh, had Olsen in it. Olsen was also in Civil War. Mm-hmm. So we... we... Uh... And, and of course, Gareth is in, you know, during this time, uh, during the, the Christmas period, uh, Rogue One is coming out. Indeed. Uh, ne- uh, ne- next next had... week, next week, as a matter of fact. Yeah, so we're going to be looking at not just one. We're, you know, it's going to have, you know, a, probably a lot about the Rogue One and all of that. But we're going to be looking at, um, kind of cracking open Gareth Edwards as a director. I mean, it's, he's he's and, almost a case. He's and almost, how he's yeah, flowing. He's almost a case study for this new thing that especially Disney seems to be doing. You know vis-a-vis its marvel movies and you know uh, with uh, jurassic park and all you know its new, new lucasfilm property properties which is to you know take a proven independent filmmaker with you know one minor success and then just hand them the keys to a franchise and give them yeah a, it's a very yeah, it's, strange it's a, it's thing a curious it's a, cu- a very very curious sort of uh methodology and uh system that's going forward as one we're going to uh leap into you know feet first uh for our next episode yeah i'm i'm excited to do this you know a little something different as we get closer to uh to the christmas time um yeah things start to get on get put on hold a little bit uh in terms of releases here Mm, exactly um so yeah, getting into this, this is going to be an interesting one, and uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. As always, follow us on uh, our website from thesilverscreen.com. There you can find all of our past and present uh, episodes. Uh, you can also find all of our social media links. We're on a variety of them. 
in this period where we're going to be putting out a bit of uh, a few more signals as well because we're we're going back over some things so uh be sure to uh, subscribe and like our uh, our youtube things um there's a, yeah a lot of things we're doing um yeah find us find us there just do it ASMR munition, ASMR, <laughs> and that's it. We got a Wild Wild West uh, reference into the podcast at the very last moment. I am content. We can now finish it right there. <laughs>